God, I'm just asking right now, would you begin to tenderize our hearts? Would you begin to speak to us about who you really are? Would you awaken our hearts to the knowledge of you and give us a proper perspective? A proper perspective on the way you see us. Holy Spirit, come. Come, Holy Spirit. I pray that you would change the lens of our mind even now. That where we've looked at you and seen you as a, as a taskmaster and as mostly a judge and seen ourselves mostly as slaves, that God, we begin to see you as Abba, the Daddy God. And we would see your Son, Jesus, as a burning bridegroom, passionately in love with us. Father, I'm asking for revelation right now. Spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you. Open the eyes of our understanding that we could know you. We give you thanks, Lord, in the name of Jesus. And everybody said amen. Amen. Good. Uh, Find in your Bible with me Psalms chapter 16. While you're turning there, find your place in Acts chapter 2. While you're doing that, Turn over to Song of Solomon, chapter 1. Because <laughs> we're going to hit all of those in some order, somehow, some way. This is my phenomenal wife walking here in front. <laughs> Mary Beth with an I. <laughs> yeah, just for the record, there's no S on the last part of my name. Just for the record. <laughs> It's funny, wherever I go speak around different conferences and camps, it's ordinary that I get introduced as Billy Humphreys or Bill Humphreys. And I just got used to it. I don't correct him anymore. Yeah, Bill Humphreys, that's me. Here I am. I just felt like it was the Lord probably trying to humble me, so I just received it and just drank it down. Well, as I said just a second ago, you know, Many of us, when we come to God, we have a perspective on God that's not consistent with what the Bible says about God. We um, picture God maybe the way that we've pictured authority figures that we've had in our lives, and, and maybe we look at them in light of how our Father is. Let me just give my cell phone to my wife so I don't get called while I'm on the stage. I'm not real religious. Sorry if I just offended you with that. No, it's okay. Back up. Come back, Holy Spirit. Okay. Um, so many times we picture the Lord the way maybe our, our father in the past treated us or maybe different um, authority figures have treated us maybe not so, so kindly. And so therefore, we look at God through a lens many times that's not consistent with the way that Scripture portrays Him. And what happens is if we don't look at God properly... Every aspect of our life uh, in Christianity and as we, as we relate to God is then tilted and it's skewed improperly and so that when we relate to God, we have an improper lens that we're looking at Him through and as a result, it hinders us from coming into a place of encounter with God. If that makes sense, wave at me. Okay. 
And so what I feel like the Lord is doing in this season, I mean, it's not something that's just, you know, specific to Kansas City, but God is doing something right now where he's calling a whole generation of people into reality and the knowledge of who he is so that they can rightly relate to him and understand how he really is and then begin to operate in in a confident way in their life, you know, in every aspect, in every area. You know, if we think that God is mostly mad, generally upset, and generally disappointed with us, we'll basically walk around life like the dog who's been beat one too many times. Come on. And I want to tell you this, that most people that come to, come to the Lord and come to church, they start with that paradigm. They start with a paradigm of condemnation. And they believe that God is basically not happy with them. Now they believe that if they perform really well, then God starts getting really glad about you. But, but that's just not true. The Bible says God so loved the world that he would offer his only son. Now consider the implication of this, that a world that is totally decadent, totally drowning in debauchery, shaking their fist at God and mocking him, God says, I am so in love with you that I wanted to give my son as a sacrifice for you. And many times we take that into consideration. We go, wow, well we must really owe God something. But God doesn't even look at it like that. He looks at it in a whole different mentality. And so I want to kind of get into this and get into some scriptures that are going to tweak the way that we look at the Lord. You know, I have this this thought that if there's any area of the Bible that we think we know, like somebody says, I want to talk about the love of God. And we go, oh, yeah, yeah, I know that. And we kind of check out a little bit because we think we know it. It's a guaranteed fact you don't know it. It's guaranteed. Because if you knew it, the thing would be causing your heart to soar. It would be causing you to come alive. It would be causing you to to be radiant with life because the word is living in a supernatural way. And any facet of the word of God that you get down in your spirit, it will be life to you continually for eternity. Oh, come on now, man, come on. I've been in Kansas City. They barely amen. Don't make me feel like I'm back there. We're in the South. Come on, we say amen. Come on, somebody. All right. So. (laughs) If this just starts bombing out, I'm going to send all y'all to Jessica's workshop. I'm sure it'll be really good. Yes. I woke up this morning with such a hangover in the Holy Ghost. Felt like I'd been hit by a truck last night. My God. (laughs) You saw that same truck? (laughs) I know. Ran over me too. All right, so look at Psalm chapter 16. (sighs) I wanted to give a little commentary. Psalm 16 is quoted in Acts chapter 2. After the day of Pentecost comes and the power of God is poured out and 3,000 get born again, all in that same thing, uh, Peter on the day of Pentecost begins to give a dissertation and he quotes two scriptures. The, the most uh, chunk of what he says there in Acts chapter 2 is him quoting two scriptures. One of the scriptures he quotes, everybody knows, is Joel chapter 2. But the other scripture that he quotes is Psalm chapter 16. And so he uses this 
uh, scripture in Psalm 16 to make some real strong statements about the Messiah and about the fact that when David was speaking in Psalm 16, he was speaking about Jesus and not about himself. Okay, you following that? So Psalm chapter 16, David was prophesying about the Messiah to come. And the way David prophesies so many times is he actually prophesies in first person. Like if you read Psalm 22 and he talks about how he's surrounded with bulls of Bashan and all his bones are out of joint. All his bones are out of joint. His bones are out of joint. <laughs> all his bones are out of joint. And his side is pierced and all that. Well, he's talking in first person. He's prophesying about the first person reality that Messiah was going to experience. You following? So in Psalm 16, he's doing the same exact thing. He's speaking first person, and he goes and clarifies in Acts chapter 2. When Peter's speaking in Acts chapter 2, he clarifies about what David was saying in Psalm 16. He said he's not, he wasn't speaking about himself. He was speaking about the Messiah. He was speaking about Jesus. Okay? So in Psalm 16, look here at verse 3. And we can take Peter's word for it that David is saying this first person from the mouth of the Messiah is a prophetic utterance. And he says this, he says, as for the saints who are on the earth, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. I want you to know this, that God delights in you. He is very happy with you and very pleased with you. See, immediately, see, when I say that, immediately, the mind starts messing. And you start going through the Rolodex of all the activities of your life. And you say, but you don't know me as well as I know me. And you don't know everything that I've done. How can you say with confidence that God delights in me? I say with confidence, God is delighted with you, he is happy with you, he is elated with you, and he is overjoyed with you. In fact, he is a burning cauldron of fiery passion with magnetism that is drawing you into the reality of how much he loves you and how passionate and happy he is with you. That's the very nature and the makeup of this God that we claim to serve. He is magnetic towards you. He's overwhelmed with you. And most of us have a problem believing that his, his emotions towards us are mostly delight because we know us. Come on, we know our stuff, don't we? And many times what we claim to be the Holy Spirit convicting us is uh, introspection with a critical spirit and it results in condemnation. And we walk around asking people to forgive us and repenting of all sorts of things. And you ever, you say, man, you just need, can you just forgive me for that? I just, and they go, what are you talking about? And many times, I'm not saying the Lord would ever, never have you to repent of something that somebody didn't know what you were talking about. The point is that many times we live in this constant state of introspection that produces condemnation through us because we don't have a proper perspective on the way that God is really looking at us. We don't have a, a perspective on his emotions. And the fact that he's mostly happy and very joyful, exceedingly joyful. And that he actually says, these humans that I've made, they're excellent ones. Even when you're having a bad hair day. Even when you're on 285 in traffic at 5 o'clock on Friday afternoon. Come on, somebody. Even when you're having a rough time and you're not doing well, he says, I think you're excellent. Can I, he goes, can I tell you something? I am so pleased with you. You're delightful. You go, I don't feel so delightful. He goes, no, you're really delightful. 
You're really cool. I think you're cool. The Bible says he's the spinning God, the rejoicing God. He rejoices over us with singing. I mean, this is going to crush our religious paradigm. We were sure he was up there in a robe with white hair and just kind of mad. But the Bible says when he sees you, you wake up in the morning and you're talking about, <laughs> you know, you got breath that could stop a freight train. You got them granules in your eyes, you know what I'm saying? Your hair looks like Don King. Come on. And God goes, he's awake. Yes. Yes. And he focuses on you because he's delighted with you. Dare to believe. We can actually be happy about serving God. All right? We really can be really happy about this because he's really happy about us. And the thing that we challenge ourselves with is our introspection that brings condemnation. And, and so that's why we've got to get to this beginning understanding of the heart and the emotions of God. And we've got we've to get to the beginning place. And it's Song of Solomon chapter 1. So just flip over there. He's mostly happy and mostly pleased. I like that word delight because it says, in them are all my delight. All my pleasure is in them. All of my joy is in them. All the happiness of my life is because of these excellent ones that I've created. Oh! So we hear it in a global sense and we go, yeah, for the entire body of Christ, that's true. God's really happy with all of them, but not with me. No, with you. See, maybe you can get over to the place where you could maybe believe that God is pretty much happy and pretty much delighted. But what about when I ask you the question like this and I say, how does God feel mostly about you, personally? I just want to break these things down. And we stare that question in the eye, we go, okay, so how does God feel mostly about me every day of my life? Do you think he feels mostly joyful about you? Do you think he's mostly delighted with you? Do you think he's mostly happy and smiling over you? Or is it the other person that's doing really well and you know they're basically making up for your lack and that's why he's basically happy. It's the, the sum net of the whole deal. No, it's you individually. You're an excellent one in whom is all his pleasure. And all his delight is in you. Uh, just got to hang on that for a minute, man. You just got to think about that. You got to let that wash over you. He's really pleased with you. It's hard for us to grasp it. So we've got to look over here at Song of Solomon chapter 1. And we've got to look at verse 5. And this is the beginning bottom line understanding of where we, we can get the picture of the emotions and the love of God. Funny little verse. Song of Solomon is an, is an allegory that speaks of the emotions of our God, our, our bridegroom Jesus, as it relates to us, the church corporate and the church individual. And so the, the little peasant girl in Song of Solomon, the Shulamite, that's you. And the prince... This glorious, beautiful man, 
whose face is glowing. He says he's, he's bright and ruddy. He's, he's glowing with beauty and health and fragrance and life. His face is shining forth till all the people around, all the daughters of Jerusalem, they say, who is he? He's our prince. And he's cruising by the, the orchard one day, the vineyard out there, and there's this little farm girl, and she's working out there digging in the dirt, and she's, you know, planting turnips or whatever. <laughs> whatever your favorite vegetable is. And she's got dirt under her fingernails, and her hair's a trip, and she didn't put her makeup on that day. And he's going by with this procession. He's being carried on a palanquin. You know, that's one of those princely things that they carry people on. He's got 50 soldiers, armed men all around him, and he looks over and sees this little servant girl. He goes, stop. They go, what? It's a garden with some slave over there working. He goes, no. She's beautiful. Look at her. They're going like, what are you seeing? He goes, she's lovely. She's amazing to me. Let me down. I need to talk to her. And so the beginning revelation of love and the the emotions of God start with this reality. And this is what she says about herself in the recognition that he stopped and turned aside to see her. She says, I am dark, but I am lovely. See, many of us are so well acquainted with the reality of our own personal darkness, our weakness in life, and the fact that we do not measure up that we stay in the place of this phrase, we stay in the I am dark side. And we're well acquainted with our weakness till we stay in the place where we go, I am dark. Woe is me. Most of us, if we were, if we were the, the Shulamite, and we are, but if we were to write it, we would say, I am dark. Uh-oh, oh my, you know, and leave it there. I am dark and unlovely. But in that moment, when he stops the palanquin and he gets off and their gazes lock and he begins to peer in her eyes and this look of pleasure comes across his face, just at beginning, beginning to, to just touch her visage, he looks at her and he says, oh, she's beautiful. And she, she says to herself, I'm, but I'm dirty, I'm dark. And she looks at him and his eyes tell her. And she says, but I'm lovely to you. Even in my raggedy condition, even with my hair a mess, even with my morning breath and no makeup working in the garden planting turnips, you're saying I'm beautiful. And she gets the revelation. And the book of Song of Solomon is a journey from this little farm girl. She starts off dirty and in a garden and she ends up coming up out of the wilderness in complete partnership with this beloved, leaning upon him, fully trusting and relying on him. That's the journey of us as the bride. We may be very aware of our darkness, but I'm telling you, God is awakening the reality of his emotions and his love toward us in this season. And at the end of the day, in Revelations 22, it says, the spirit and the bride say come. It's a prophetic prayer that the the church at the end of the age will be in a complete, full-on bridal identity and full recognition that she is radically in love and radically loved by this passionate, burning, uncreated God. And she will be in complete unity with the Holy Spirit and she will be in a place of intercession crying come the spirit and the bride say come and our journey is from this place of recognizing that we're dark 
to recognizing that he loves us in spite of our weakness. And he's mostly happy and mostly pleased with us. Let me illustrate. My three-year-old boy, his name is Josiah. That means fire of God. Seems like a good name for any little kid. And so Josiah loves his one-year-old little brother, Jacob, as in Jacob generation. He loves him, but Josiah is wound tight. He is like human Tasmanian devil boy. And so he's intense. And he's always gritting his teeth for some reason. And when he gets really excited, he goes, just like that. I don't know where he got it. <laughs> and so he loves Jacob. So he goes over to Jacob and he's like, and he starts banging him. He starts banging his head. And I'm like, what are you doing? And Jacob's like, ah! He's taking a beat down. And so we've been trying to tra- tra- train Josiah. Buddy, don't bang Jacob. He doesn't like it. Don't bang him in the head because it hurts him. He's just a little guy. He goes, oh, yes. And he was saying, so good. He goes, yes, daddy, I'll never bang him again. <laughs> well, the next day, because he's three, he sees Jacob and he gets all excited about him again. And he walks over to him and he goes, yeah. And he bangs him again. <laughs> and I go, buddy, what are you doing? I just told you yesterday, you said you'd never bang me. He goes, sorry. I go, bud, if you bang him again, I'm going to give you the rod. We believe in the rod. We believe in it. If you give your child the rod, the Bible says it will not kill him. It'll drive foolishness far from him. So we believe in it. So the next day, he bangs him. I go, bud, I got to give you the rod. Come here. And we sit down and we do the thing. We hug and we give the rod and he cries and I hold him. And do you know why you got the rod? Yes, I banged Jacob. I go, that's right. Don't bang him anymore. I'll never bang him again. The next day he's banging him again. So we've been in this series. We're trying to, you know, train him not to bang his little one-year-old brother. We don't want the one-year-old to have brain damage. We want him to grow up being a bruiser and a bully. Well, here's the point. Because he's beating on Jacob does not affect in any way the emotions of my heart toward my three-year-old. I have a love affair with him. I am radically, incredibly in love with this little boy. His blue eyes, when he looks at me and smiles, I mean, I am just wasted. If he knew how powerful he was, he could ask me for anything. He could have a Corvette by now. I mean, he's like... That amazing, his little face just lights up an entire room. And he's, he's so funny and cute and random. He makes all these crazy little, you know, comments. He's, one day he's Superman, the next day he's Buzz Lightyear. The next day he's Spider-Man. I go, Sia, he goes, Spider-Man today. 
He's just so sweet and he's amazing. And I'm in love with my boy. But when he does wrong, it doesn't change my heart towards him. I disagree with him banging on Josiah. I disagree with the activity, but I'm still radically in love with him. Even in your weakness and darkness, God says you're beautiful. Do you, are you catching the emotion of the heart of God, the Father? Are you catching the emotion of Jesus, the bridegroom? He is not um, you know, throwing you away because of your darkness and, and your weakness in your life. He's still incredibly in love with you even if he's in disagreement with the activities that, that you're involved in. He's still in love with you. That's the beginning understanding of love. Most of us live our life trying to be good enough to try to get God's approval. Hopefully God will love us if we live good. And I'm telling you, he is already an ocean of delight about you. Are you hearing me? He's already a sea of pleasure over you. Before you did one thing, my three children, for the first year of their life, all they could do is sleep, eat, and poop. Come on. Let's get real now. Come on. Did I love them because they couldn't do anything? Did I not love them? I mean, because they couldn't do anything? No, I totally was radically in love with them. As soon as they came out of the womb, I began to weep because I was so in love with them. God loves you apart from the activities of your life that you do well, your performance. So many of us, our identity is wrapped up in our performance and that is not the basis for his love for you. You know what the basis for his love for you is? Himself. He is the basis for his love for you. Uh, let, me, let me illustrate that one. God is love, is he not? Okay. When I was a youth pastor uh, here at this church, we were in a little season where things weren't going so well with our youth ministry. And um, I think we were just in the middle of a youth group mutiny kind of a situation. And... Um, those things, you know, they're challenging at times. So my wife and I decided to drive to Athens because they've got this incredible pizza place there called Da Vinci's. And the pizza there's this thick and it's full of cheese and on the top is the sauce and all the stuffing is on the inside. And the crust is this thick and it's full of cheese. And so once you're done eating this pie of a pizza, you got this crust that's full of this cheese. And it's amazing. It's anointed. I'm pretty sure it's going to be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. <laughs> and it's fully illegal for you to go to Da Vinci's and order the pizza if you don't get the garlic rolls first. And these garlic rolls are little, they're the round kind of rolls that are kind of crispy a little bit on the outside, but they're soft and doughy on the inside. And they are absolutely swimming in garlic butter. So we decided to go to Da Vinci's and drown our sorrows in some garlic rolls and some pizza. 
So we woof it down, and it is just phenomenal. And I'm on the way back. It's an hour drive up and an hour drive back, and I'm on the way back. And the, my, my plan to, to drown my sorrows in gluttony backfired because I was full up to here with pizza till every time I swallowed, I could taste it again. It was like Thanksgiving times 10. It was painful. And I was offended because of all the young people in our youth group were in a mutiny and, and just seemed like everything was wrong with the world. And I said, God! I'm full of pizza and I'm mad. And why did you even make me anyway? Wouldn't it have been easier, all these people going to hell and all these problems in the world and Iraq and terror, wouldn't it have been just easier, God, just to not even make people? And he said, son, why did I make you? You know, when God asks you a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. Let me just say this to you. Every time that you've had a test from the Lord, it wasn't about a pass or fail. He already knows. Every test you ever had from the Lord, it was a token of grace to you so you could help locate yourself. He's not up there with a pass or fail. Give me a break. A plus F. No. He gives you the test. You locate your heart. Maybe you learn, maybe you don't. And he goes, eh, maybe we need to take that one again. Eh, maybe we need to take that again. If you've taken the same test 10 times, here's a thought, change the answer. (laughs) Maybe. He gives you tests so you can locate yourself. So he asked me, he says, yes, son, good question. Why did I create you? And I go, God, do you understand that I'm mad? My youth group is in a revolt. I'm full of pizza and I have to drive an hour. I don't really want to go through this right now. Don't try to get deep with me, Lord. And then again he says, why did I make you? And I go, okay. I've seen it on a shirt. I'm sure it's got to be right. You created me to worship. He goes, son, do you think I really need your worship? He goes, I'm perfect. Why would I need your worship? Why would I make you to worship me? And he brought back to my mind, we'd been having a revival of the ants at our house. And they'd all trailed in and made a, a, you know, up into our kitchen. There's about 900 million of them all in a single file line. And eating one little piece of sugar, you know. It's like, it's amazing. So I was in there and I was like, we're taking another little side journey on a story. I was in there, and I was like trying to be like the Terminator with these ants. I was like trying to kill as many ants and load up my thumb with as, as many ants as possible. So I was like, <laughs> 15, all right. <laughs> 20, all right. I'm just like trying to set a new record with it, right? And the Lord brings that back to my mind. He goes, you remember how you were with those ants? How, how, how below you they are? I go, yeah. He goes, that's how below me you are. He goes, I don't need your worship. I went, you're not making me feel good, God. This is not helping. He said, why did I make you, son? I said, well, I guess you made me to fulfill my purpose. He goes, apart from me, you have no purpose. You are not helping me. 
And he goes, and he says it again, why did I make you? And I go, I guess you made me, <sighs> let's get generic with it, let's get general. You made me to serve you. How about that one? He goes, I need help from no one. My own hand can bring salvation. And finally he goes, son. I said, God, I don't know why you made me, okay? Point taken. I don't understand. <laughs> you are God and I do not know you. I admit it. I'm down. Stop kicking me, okay? <laughs> so he goes, son, who am I? What am I? And I said, well, your love. He said, that's right. He said, by the very fact that I am love, I had to make ones who could reject me so that I could love them. He said, the very definition of who I am could not be love if I could not express it to a being that could reject my love. He said, I made you to love you. I put breath in your lungs to show you loving kindness. I created you not to do I created you to be loved. That's why the Bible calls us the beloved. We're the beloved of God. He put breath in your lungs because he's full of loving kindness. And he had to pour it out on someone. So he wrapped the DNA just right to create you so he could love you. And he's mostly happy about you and mostly delighted and pleased with you. He's an emotional God. We don't think he's emotional because we understand our emotions. We understand that our emotions lead us around by the tail. We understand that our emotions have us up one minute and down one minute, up one minute and down one minute. God is fully emotional and fully in control all at the same time. And he is a radical, emotional God who is burning with delight and happiness over you. Rejoicing over you. In his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures evermore. Are you still holding Psalm, of, Psalm verse 16? Turn back over there. Let's look at that scripture. I told you I'd be nice and light today, so we're just having fun. Just trying to give you some introductory thoughts into the, the emotions of this God that we serve. If you can believe that God is happy with you, you can get the monkey off your back. Because so many of us serve this false image of God and we're trying to perform to get approval and none of it is necessary. Many, many things that we do in life are all about getting people's approval because we have this desire to be accepted that God created us with. He created us with a longing to be loved. He put that in us at creation. And so what we do is we toil our whole life for validity from people and approval, not understanding that God's already, already pleased with you and already accepts you. You don't have to work for status, approval, a six-figure income. You don't have to prove yourself to anybody. All you've got to do is be loved. Because he already receives you. He already accepts you and he already loves you. When you begin to tap into this reality, that's how you can sustain yourself in prayer. Prayer is no longer a chore when you understand that God is pretty happy about you all the time. 
Prayer is no longer a chore when you understand that he is radically in love with you and that stepping into his presence, all of a sudden you enter into this magnetic force field of attraction with God. Prayer isn't like, oh, I got to hammer out my half an hour today. It's like, you mean, okay, okay, you're telling me I get to stand before one who is radically in love with me and talk to him and all I've really got to do is say to him what he told me to say to him about himself and about me. And that's prayer. And then if I skip a meal with it, that's fasting and it counts. And it's okay to do it with music going the whole time. He said, yeah, it's even better that way. It's the harp and the bullet releases thunders and lightnings. Okay, so I get to do it with cool music. I get to say back to you, I don't have to make it up, I get to say back to you what the Bible says, what you told me to say about you, and you like that? He goes, I love it! He says, I'm delighted over that. And you go, huh, I think I could probably do 30 minutes a day. I think I could probably get used to this. It's addictive when you understand properly who he is and how he feels about you. Four o'clock, how are we doing? We doing all right? We're doing all right. I haven't said a third of what I wanted to say, but it's okay. Look at this scripture. We're back in Psalm 16, right? Again, this is David prophesying first person from the vantage point of the Messiah in verse nine. Ah, Jesus. He says this, therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope for you will not leave my soul in Sheol nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures evermore. Jesus' heart, as the express image of God, is glad. And the statement of his glory, of his being, his abundance of who he is, is rejoicing. It's an amazing thought, but I want you to dial this in, and I'll cut you loose. I guess, I guess what time do we go to? Anybody know? Tell me, somebody conference goers what time do you want to leave <laughs> at 10 o'clock tonight I can go that long five she said five I got hold another hour ah, we won't do all that I'll cut you loose and give you some time this afternoon but Jesus who is the judge of the universe now think about this he's the judge of the universe his heart is glad in fact he's the most joyful man that's ever lived on the face of the planet and he's the judge of the universe. So here you are, Joe Christian, Jill Christian, whatever, and you stand there on the day when you're, you're judged according to your deeds in the body as a Christian. And uh, there's Jesus on the throne. He's kind of like. <laughs> and you walk in, you go, are you, the, are you the judge? He goes, yeah, come on in, bro. You're like, um, don't you have like a, like a judge outfit or something? You know, he's up there in blue jeans or whatever. He's like, no, nah, this is it. Come on in. And, he, and, he, and he, you're like, um, you're, okay, you're really the judge. He goes, yeah, I've been looking at you for a long time. I like you. You're like, where's the camera, you know? This is weird. This is not what I thought. He goes, no, this is great. Come on. And you go, okay, and he goes, yeah, let's, here, let's open the book. This is fine. This is good. Let's open the book. And he opens the book, and he goes, oh, good, yeah. He goes, yeah, that area, this area, and this area, you totally conquered all those things. And you're going, 
yeah, but there's like 20 things I didn't conquer. You go, look at that. You conquered those five things. Amazing. Total breakthrough in those areas. He's going, <laughs> and you're going like, this can't be. He's going, that was awesome. Let's watch the video of that. Yeah, that's you saying no. Way to go. And you're, you're like, this can't be. And, you, and you, your mind is playing, you know. Because in eternity, you know, your natural faculties stay with you. In your mind, you're going, there are 20 areas that I needed to work out that I, you know, I, I worried about daily. And he goes, yeah, yeah, let's look at these other things. And you're going, what's he going to say? And he goes, now look, there's five areas, total breakthrough. That's awesome. He goes, look at these 10 areas. And you go, oh, here it comes. And he goes, not so bad. Parcel breakthrough, way to go. And you go, what? He goes, good try. <laughs> You're like, can't be. The judge of the universe is the most joyful man that's ever lived. And he's mostly pleased with you. Do you get it? You're going to stand before him and he's going to go 10 areas, man. I'm telling you, partial breakthrough and these other five, eh, not, so, but not so good, but you pushed against them. Some that was kind of good. And you're going to stand there in bewilderment going, what could have I had on earth if I would have understood the perspective that you have towards me? Look, I'm not telling you some fairy tale. I'm telling you about the way he's made up. He rejoices with spitting and singing over you because he's excited about you. He's filled with joy. He's anointed with the oil of gladness, uh, the Bible says in Psalm 45, over all that have been created. This is the Jesus we serve. He's not basically mad at you. He's full of emotion and gladness and delight and pleasure. The Bible says at his right hand, in his presence, there is fullness of joy. I think we just begin sometimes just to barely touch this. You know, I, I get sometimes in the place of worship and all of a sudden I just, I just belly laugh. I just, you know, everybody's jumping. Like we were just jumping and dancing here a few minutes and I'm just like. <laughs> this is good. If you're like, what's wrong with that freak, you know? I'm like, in his presence is fullness of joy. Come on, this is fun. This is good. You know, God is not as starchy and stale as we've made him out to be. He's full of emotions and they're mostly positive toward you. See, there's something that you've done as a Christian. You've said yes. Once you say yes in the grace of God, you say, God, I want to go with you. I don't know all of that that it means, but I I, I say yes to your son. I say yes to your sacrifice. I want you to be my Lord. God, I want to know you. Once you say yes, he goes, great job. Let me change it all around for you. Let me take off your filthy garments and put on clean garments. And let me speak love over you. And let me impart to you the reality of who I am. Let me give you knowledge of me so you'll know the way I feel about you. Let me impart my love to you that will cause your heart to absolutely soar. Let me read one last scripture and I'll, I'll go briefly with it and then I'll cut you loose. Look at John chapter 17. Guys, this is all introductory stuff. Totally introductory right here. I want to encourage you Take these scriptures and unpack them in the place of prayer. If the stuff that you're hearing up here, um, you know, in any of the sessions in the conference, if, if it's kind of like, you know, it hits your mind and you kind of go, wow, 
that's intense. But you don't take it past the time in the conference into the place of prayer, you will lose it. It'll just be a good message that you remember, hey, that guy was kind of cool. I don't remember what he spoke on, but it was kind of cool. Take it in the place of prayer, open your Bible, and begin to say what the Bible says. You know, get Psalm 45 and, and, and begin to read it and pray it in prayer. And once the word of God becomes the language of your prayer, it will begin to penetrate your heart and become life in your spirit. It's got to move into that place, though. It can't just be the words in the mouth of the conference speaker. You hear me? I mean, for real, if you want to take it seriously and you want it to change you, take it back to your place of prayer and unpack the scripture and unravel it and see all the different layers in it. John 17 is one of those. Let's look at this. John chapter 17 is Jesus praying his high priestly prayer there at the end of his life. And look at verse 22. We're just breaking right there. It says, And the glory which you gave me I've given them, that they may be one, just as we are one. I and them, and you and me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Stop right there. I just want to comment. The very heart of love and desire of love that God the Father has for his son Jesus is the exact same heart of love and desire that God has as a father for you. Can I tell you, if you mostly think about God as master, then you mostly have a slave mentality. But if you mostly think about him as Abba, Father, then you're entering into the reality of being a son and a daughter of the Lord. Most of us walk around with an orphan mentality as it relates to God the Father. We believe that he's distant and, 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 and unattached from us emotionally. And many times we overlay upon him the natural experience we've had with our natural fathers, which some have been great experiences, some have been tough. But I want to tell you, just the way that God the Father loves Jesus, even so much that, that God could not restrain himself at certain points in Jesus' life, and God thundered forth from heaven and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Can you imagine the emotion of the heart of God where God's like, he's up there trying to keep it cool. Jesus is down there. He's walking the thing out. He's on the track. He's going to take the sin of the world. He's doing this thing. He's walking it out, and God the Father's up there, and he's and on, on the throne, and, and the 24 elders are around, and the living creatures, and God's going, man, are you watching this? This is awesome. He's like, Yes, he's doing it, Jesus doing it. And he goes, stop. That's my beloved son. I'm well pleased in him. Oh, it's good. Oh, I love him. The father breaks into natural time and natural human history to thunder forth the reality of his love for his son. And then Jesus says, oh God, um, could you re reveal it to their hearts? I pray for all of them that are gonna come to know me. Would you reveal to their hearts that you love them the way you love me? Could you let them know that? Do you get it? The Father loves you just like he loved Jesus. The same emotions and passions. His only begotten son, he loves you the same level as Jesus Christ. The one who's perfect, he loves you the same as him. Lord, let that reality set in upon us. The emotions of God for you are far greater than you've ever imagined they were. 
And then look at verse 24. So that's the love of the Father towards us. I'm being real brief with this, but let's look at verse 24. He says this, Father, I desire Jesus Christ, the God-man, forever God and forever man. He says, Father, I've got desires. I desire that those who you gave me, I want them with me. I want them close to me. I want them near me. I, I want to be in proximity with them. I, I want to touch them and, and, and hold them. And, and I, want to, I want them to sense my emotions for them. And, and God, I want them here with me. I want them to know the desires of my heart. I, I want to love them. Father, I desire them. I desire to be with them. I have a passion in my heart, Abba. I'm here at the end, but God, I'm asking, could you set it up so that I could be with them? I want them to know my love for them. I desire them. That's how Jesus feels about you. An ocean of desire for you. A longing heart he has for you. He's a bridegroom with fire in his eyes and he's passionate in love for you and he desires you. Jesus desires you. I mean, that's one, one little line. You take it into prayer and you go, Jesus, thank you for desiring me. You, and it, it, this is how it starts. You go, you desire me? You, you desire me, God? Jesus, you, you desire me? Jesus, you, you desire me. You desire me. Jesus. You desire me. There's a well of reality in the knowledge of God right there. It'll take you into intimacy and weeping before him. Just in the reality that this God, this uncreated God, who can have anything he wants, wants you. And he says, I desire, God, that they would be with me. I want them with me. And then he says this interesting phrase, and I think we misinterpret it sometimes. He says this, I desire that they also, whom you gave me, may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory you have given me, for you love me before the foundation of the world. And so he says, aha. It's all about vanity in the Godhead. He just wants us with him so we can look at how good he is and see how cool he is. Because we take glory and we make glory only brilliance and majesty. And glory is brilliance and majesty. And glory is power. But glory is about the abundance of who God really is. Now stay with me right here. I'm I'm wrapping this up. It's about all the things that God is. His glory. The abundance of who he is. And the pinnacle of his glory, the deepest place of his glory, are his emotions and his feelings. See, the deepest place of you are your innermost thoughts and feelings and your emotions, right? You know, when you talk on the surface level of somebody, it's like, how are you? I'm fine. Nice weather? Yep. How about them braves? I mean, you know, that's kind of how you do. But God says, and, and so that's the surface level. So the most deep part of you is your innermost thoughts and feelings and how, how things are going in your heart. See, that's how it is with God. The glory of God is his majesty and his brilliance and his beauty and his power and his radiance. It's all those things, but it's also the depths of the emotions of his heart. 
And so Jesus said, I want them to be with me so that they can behold me because he understands the principle. In 1 Corinthians 3, he says, you behold something, you'll become it. When we set our gaze upon something, we become it. When we set our gaze upon the uncreated God, we become like him. We're being transformed in the same image as from glory to glory. How? By beholding and gazing upon the beauty of the Lord. How did David become a man after God's own heart? By gazing on his beauty and then coming into contact with the very intimate detail of the emotion of God's heart. And as David began to touch that place in the heart of God that revealed the emotions of God for David, it began to undo David until his heart was so tender with the reality that God was radically, passionately in love with him. So Jesus says, God, I want them with me. I desire them. Why? Because I want them to behold how much in love with them I really am and how my heart really feels about them because, God, if they will see, Father, how much I love them, if they'll behold it with their own eyes and they'll capture it with their spirit, God, then they'll love me the way I love them. Jesus loves you. And he wants to reveal to you the reality of his burning heart of love toward you. He's looking for partners who will be comparable to him. A bride in full bridal identity, in full awareness of the love that he has for her, and in full love and relationship and intimacy with him. That's where this thing is going. Oh God, I pray. Would you give us reality to the emotions of your heart? God, would you help us to break through the blinders and the offenses in the hurts of our life to dare to believe? Dare to believe, Jesus, that you love us and that your heart is glad about us that you're excited for us and that you're pleased with us. That even in our darkness and our weakness, God, you call us lovely. And even though we're, we're weak and we're frail and we're well aware of our failures, you say that we're beautiful to you. Lord, would you get us in touch with the reality of your divine desire for us? The ocean of love, the height, the width, the depth, and the length, to know the love of God that passes human comprehension and mental knowledge. Lord, would you introduce us to your emotions? Would you introduce us to your glory? Would you draw us into that place of beholding that we may become what we see? Lord, I'm asking, tenderize our hearts right now. Tenderize our hearts right now. Tenderize our hearts in intimacy. Tenderize our hearts in the knowledge of you. Let's just hang here just for a minute. I just, I just want to ask the Holy Spirit to come and begin to move on us. I think Marcus and Ben or whoever, if you guys could come.
Come Holy Spirit. Lord, we say you are great, but we don't know you. Would you introduce us now? Holy Spirit, would you become an escort? An escort for us into the knowledge of your love. Holy Spirit, speak the love of the Father over us. Speak the love of the Son over us. Lord, would you begin to reveal desire? Lord, would you show areas where we've tried to perform to gain acceptance? And yet the whole time you've said you've made us accepted in the beloved. Lord, would you unveil our eyes that we could see you? We could set our gaze on you. Lord, I'm praying that all mentalities of toil and struggle for validity and acceptance, God, would fall even in this moment. Would you begin to woo our hearts, Lord, even now, even now, all across this room, woo our hearts with your pleasures and your delights for us. God, that we would know that you're mostly pleased. You mostly delight in us. That your care for us is unsurpassed. Your desire is for us and your delight is in us. And even in our weakness, you desire us. Come, Holy Spirit. Confidence, the reality of your love for us. Come, Holy Spirit. Tenderize us right now. In your presence is fullness of joy. Because you're so joyful. Your mouth is full of gladness. You're joyful over us. respond to the Lord if you just say to the Lord that you realize you don't know his emotions the way that perhaps the Bible describes them but maybe something's beginning to awaken inside you and you want to go deeper in the knowledge of his emotions and his desire for you 
you're just asking the Lord to escort you into that place of his embrace that he would whisper his love and his approval and acceptance in your ear joyfulness of his heart if you want to come into a revelation of that in a greater measure just ask you to stand just stand just set yourself before him in this moment and just you and Jesus just ask him tenderize my heart God maybe even in this moment just begin to make some of these scriptures Psalm 16 John 17 some of these scriptures the prayer right now of your heart Father you desire me Song of Solomon 1 even though I'm dark you say I'm lovely God I'm aware of my frailty but you say I'm beautiful to you God tenderize my heart passionate love tenderize my heart with the knowledge of who you are joyful God just between you and Jesus even now just begin to articulate the gushings of your heart he's not the taskmaster you thought he was not the God that throws you away after you make a mistake and when he disciplines he doesn't discipline you in anger and in rejection he disciplines you in love when he sows a seed of discipline he sows it in love and in tenderness compassion and loving kindness and when he's merciful for you the Bible says it in Jeremiah 31 verse 20 that his mercy is birthed out of desire it's not birthed out of the fact that you're weak and hopeless it's birthed out of the fact that he desires you so much he wants to be merciful to you Father I'm asking you awaken love awaken love awaken longing awaken hunger Awaken desire. Daddy. Daddy. Awaken the reality of your love and acceptance for us. For a whole generation, God. From 8 to 80, God, awaken desire in our lives. Awaken us to the knowledge of your love, the knowledge of your emotions, your gladness, and your joy for us, God. Awaken it in us, oh God, I'm asking for this generation. Take us into a bridal reality in full assurance and confidence. Tenderize our hearts, God.
all of creation is about a good father raising up and gathering together a beautiful bride for his worthy son. It's a romance. This romantic God wants to draw you in and allure you. He wants to woo you with loving kindness. He wants to woo and tempt your heart with passion. It's in this reality that we can run hard after him. Your human zeal will only burn you out and bruise you. But the reality of the emotions of God and the intimacy of his heart and the passion of his heart towards you, it's what gives us energy. Thank you for liking us, Jesus. Thank you for loving us, Jesus. Thank you for desiring us, Jesus. Lord, we want to gaze on you. We want to gaze on your beauty. We want to behold your glory. We want to behold the the vast ocean of emotion in your heart, God, toward us. We want to love you the way you love us, Jesus. Bring us into reality and love. Perfect us in love, oh God.
Son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus. Behold my beloved one. Behold my son. Heart with one glance of your eye, 
my heart, my sister, my bride. You will ravish my heart with one glance of your eye, with one look of heart and love. Here I am, God. Your favorite one in whom is your delight. Sure heart with one look from an eye that he usually wonders with one glance from a heart of love like yours set my gaze on you I am overcome I set my face towards you I see the look of your gaze the set your heart is I see the longing inside of you to be with me for you have ravished my heart my sister my bride you have ravished my heart with one glance Love sick for you, Jesus. I'm love sick for you. I'm homesick for heaven. My heart's longing for you, Jesus. I'm love sick for you, Lord. I'm homesick for heaven. I'm love sick for you. life anyway anyway and what is this time anyway anyway and what are these worries compared to you what are these worries compared to Jesus to Jesus for waking us hearts of love and reality to comprehend your emotions toward us let us believe give us grace to believe in the joy of your heart the gladness of your spirit in the pleasure that you take in us Lord, change a generation. Take us from the pit of condemnation. Set us in the palace of pleasure. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Oh, don't you love Jesus? He's so good.